You know, this probably is going to be my uh, most political message to date, but I don't intend to be political. I, consider my, I don't necessarily consider myself political per se. I want to be biblical, amen? I want to be God-centered. I want to form my beliefs, values, and actions around a biblical worldview. Even so, this may sound political. It isn't my goal. My goal is to show that how some of the issues today that are happening right beneath our eyes are biblical issues. They are not separate issues that we can turn our backs to. I want to show you the interconnected realities of today and what God has made clear in His Word, which means that we can't disengage from the conversation. It means that we don't have a right to be silent when the Bible speaks clearly on some of these issues. I believe this is a crucial election. I believe we're at a crossroads in our nations. nation. Which way will we go? And it isn't, you guys know this and we're saying it this morning, it isn't just dependent on the present president. Neither president is our Lord, our Savior, or our Messiah. Amen? Jesus Christ alone is the King of Kings, our Deliverer, our hope, and our future. But we stand at a crossroads, a door of decision. Will we turn back to God or flee further from Him? Will we run to God or turn from His goodness? And as a nation... We have been drifting away from God for a while now. And the drifting has turned to a departure. And the departure has come out as a war against God and His ways at times. We have been a nation under God moving to a, a nation who thinks we are above God. We have driven God out of our hearts, out of our ways, out of our schools, out of our laws. And some have even driven Him out of the churches. In ways, America has been arrogant, greedy, and prideful. And we know that pride comes before the fall. My message today is titled, God Will Not Be Mocked. We mock God when we act like He doesn't exist. We mock God when we reject Him and His ways. We mock Him when we think we know best and act like He is not coming back to judge. Yet God will not be mocked. He will not be silent or removed from the affairs of men. He is actively, actively involved in the nation, and he has the final say. You know, Charles Finney, a preacher in the 1800s, wrote this. He said, to mock God is to pretend to love and serve him when we do not. To act in a false manner, to be insincere and hypocritical in our professions. Pretending to obey him, love, serve, and worship him when we do not. Mocking God grieves the Holy Spirit and sears the conscience. And thus the bands of sin become stronger and stronger. The heart becomes gradually hardened by such a process. Let's pray. Father God, we need you. We need you in our church. We need you in our lives. We need you in our nation. Lord, I ask that you would show up in mighty ways in the coming days like we could never imagine. God, I pray that you would turn our nation back to you, that there would be true repentance and change in our nation, Lord. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to your word, that we would be in your word and seeking your ways and your kingdom first. Lord, we thank you that our citizenship is in heaven and you are over all and above all. And I pray that you would use this, my, this message for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.
Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We live in a time when it is easy to be deceived. Media outlets and news spin the truth. Statistics can be manipulated. Fear is rampant. There are multiple false religions and teachings. And many people have a smooth tongue telling you what you want to hear or what, you think, what they think you want to hear. And as followers of Christ, we are told not to be deceived. Stand on the truth of God and trust His Word. Trust God. And whatever one sows, we will also reap. If we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. And this principle could be applied to a nation. When a nation sows, they also reap. When a nation sows evil, it will reap corruption. Israel showed this to be true, right? That they are God's chosen people, God's holy nation. They were given the laws and the covenant with God, yet they were humbled because of their disobedience. Judgment with the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem came because they forgot about God and they mixed idols and other gods into their worship. Social justice, injustice polluted the society and rituals became substitutes for relationship with God. And all along the prophets of old called out, turn back, repent, O Israel, how far you have fallen. The prophetic, the prophets of the time cried out and their basic message was this first, you have broken the covenant and you had better repent. And then secondly, they follow that up is with, if there is no repentance, then judgment is coming. And thirdly, they spoke of the hope that is beyond judgment for a glorious restoration. And we know from the Bible that God is slow to anger. He is long-suffering and ever so merciful. He longs for everyone to come to repentance. He is patient, but He will not be mocked. And do we think He will turn a blind eye? He will not share His glory with another. And so for, for that time and when, when Israel was judged, Judah was judged, God raised up Nebuchadnezzar. They were high and lofty in their eyes, but God humbled them. And there is a time when the people had not listened, had not changed their ways, walk in wickedness and evil, that God must bring His judgment. And how many of you know that His judgment is good? It is righteous and true. It isn't a knee-jerk reaction. It isn't from out of anywhere. It's with warning. It's with, spe uh, with specifics that God will come and will bring judgment if we will not listen. And this too is for our good. This is to bring us back to Him, to awaken us. And so everything that God does is good. And I believe we could be at a similar moment in our nation. I believe that if we don't get this right, we could see things in our nation like we could never have imagined. Aren't we already seeing some of these things? Could anybody imagine that there would be a virus that would spread throughout the whole world and would shut down the economy and shut down the world? Could we imagine that there would be, um, uh, uh, um, that we'd all be wearing masks everywhere we're going? Could we imagine and see, you know, some of the riots on the streets calling to disband and defund the police? That there's been injustice, racial conflict, domestic terrorist organizations running wild. We have been a nation founded on biblical principles, Christian Judeo ethics, 
Even in the de Declaration of Independence, it states that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among of these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. On our money, it says, in God we trust. Still, we live as though we trust our money over God. The Supreme Court opens its session by saying, God save the United States and this honorable court. However, by this very court, we have mocked God by some of our rulings. We have forgotten about the court of heaven that is above all courts. We have forgotten about the judge who is above all judges. We have made laws contrary to his ways and his kingdom. And I believe part of the reason this has happened, that we're seeing what we're seeing in the nation, is that the church has mostly been silent. We have removed our voice from the marketplace, from government, from schools. We have been told to sit down and shut up, and we have listened. We stopped calling sin, sin. We stopped speaking to power. We disengaged. We have been told that it's fine if you believe what you believe, but keep it to yourself. And we've also been told that our beliefs are archaic and outdated, yet we know that God is God over the universe and He is an eternal God and His ways are higher than our ways. The claim, listen, the claim for the separation of church and state rings in our ears. People are saying, you know, that it has been twisted. The church, the claim for the church or the separation of church and state has been twisted to mean something that it was never intended. Separation of church and state is exactly the opposite of what people think it means today. They think that the church should not have influence on the government. They think that is to protect the state from the influence of the church. It's the opposite. The Constitution protects the church from the state. It protects the church from the government, not the state from the church. The church has the freedom to speak into matters that, that matter for society, government, laws, and voting. And even if we were told to stop speaking out for God, you discern in your own heart if it's right to listen to God or to man. The prophets of the Bible spoke to kings and rulers. They called out their evil and injustice. Did not the disciples speak to councils, cities, and societies? Biblically speaking, we have forgot that we are called to be salt and light. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Notice how Jesus says salt of the earth, not just salt of the church. Our influence is not to be confined to just the church. We are called to be salt of the earth, which means that the faithful disciples need to get involved with life on this earth. They are not, they are, we are to regard ourselves as an important ingredient of a society, not because of us, but because of who is in us, because of God, because we have the wisdom of God, the words of God. And what does salt do? Salt flavors, it preserves it sustains, and in the ancient world, it was seen as a purifying and cleansing agent. Yet we see a culture that is rotting away, a society that is forming that is not sustainable. If we keep going in this direction, we won't last. 
We are called to penetrate society for God and act as a preserving and purifying agent. When we see good in society, we should help keep it wholesome. When something is evil or corrupt, we should oppose it. We should stand against evil. I'm reminded of the quote that the only thing necessary for triumph, for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. For if salt has lost its taste, its use, its value, how can it be restored? At that point, salt is no longer good for anything except to be a doormat, to be trampled under people's feet. Matthew 5, 14, continuing off where Jesus spoke, he then went from salt to light. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, notice how Jesus says light of the world, not just light of the church. What good is a light if it is covered or hidden? The light is to shine brightly so that it may be seen. We are called to burn for Jesus so the world can see our good works. And not so they see our good works and see us, but so they will see him and give him glory. Salt speaks and light acts. We are to speak and act on the behalf of God. Light also exposes, it reveals, it does not hide. Is light overpowered by darkness? No. It serves its purpose so that it can be seen. You know, in darkness, I think of my job that we have to train where we cannot see. And I specifically remember a fire a couple years back that uh, was, a, was a hoarder home. And so they had lots of boxes and lots of stuff. And the door was shut and there was smoke puffing out. And we knew that, and we knew that obviously there was a fire in there. And somebody had told us when we first saw, there's an elderly man in there that we need to get him out. And so we came in there and we broke open the door and smoke was banked down to the ground. You cannot see your hand in front of your face. As soon as you start in, you start walking, you are hitting walls and boxes and things. You're getting into the structure. You see a little flicker of light. There's nothing but pitch black and smoke and it is very disorienting. It is hard to be able to see which way is left or right, which way is out. It's easy to get lost. And I believe right now the world is disoriented. It is seeing darkness. There's darkness around. There's confusion around. They don't know what is left or right, good or evil. And we are the light of the world. And light makes all the difference. The light of God will bring truth and life. We may be living out the days of Isaiah 5. Listen to this. Isaiah 5 verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drinks who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom go up like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts, and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. 
Light exposes what is hidden in darkness. It awakens and brings clarity. The truth will set you free. But woe to those who have rejected God and his ways. And there's a number of ways that our nation, I believe, has turned from God. But I want to look at some of the ones that are most crucial, I believe, for society. They deal with the sanctity of life, the definition of marriage, and the blessing of children. We're going to look at Genesis to see these foundational verses. We're going to look at the original intentions of God for humanity. Abby, did you want to share your, your verse? That you were, do you want to come share your verse? Abby had a verse when I was preparing this message. That kind of, yeah, Abby, come on up. Yeah, this is my daughter, Abby. She, she, when I was preparing this message, she came uh, up and she said, Daddy, I just learned a new verse that I memorized, and, and I'd like to share it if I can. And, so, and it went you know, with my message. And so... Uh, I'm so proud of her, and uh, this is my, my baby girl. She's going to speak for the Lord one day, and even right now she's speaking for the Lord. So do you want to share your verse? Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-1. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, sweetheart. Good job. Good job. Okay. <laughs> she wanted to share that. In the beginning... Good job, Abby. Proud of you. In the beginning, God. There is no beginning without God. There is no life without Him. There's no society or government. As we look at the sanctity of life, marriage, and children, we see that these are the three that are at crux of society. They deal with humanity as whole, and the family is the backbone of society in God's order. When we see the degradation of the family unit, we will see the degradation of society. Let's first look at the sanctity of life. Genesis 1, these are on the first pages of your Bible that we find the foundation of what God intended. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God, the creator of man, the creator of humanity. Human worth is not based on possessions, achievements, physical attractiveness, status, power, or position. Instead, it is based on being made in God's image and likeness. Each human has value strictly because each human is made in God's image. This is both man and woman. Neither one is made more in the image of God than the other. From the beginning, the Bible places man and woman at the pinnacle of God's creation. Male and female, although distinctly different, are equally valued. Every person is created in God's image and likeness, and every person matters. Yes, I will say, black lives absolutely matter. Black lives absolutely matter. I'm truly sorry that the black community has felt like they haven't mattered. I will gladly stand up and say that. But I also want to make the distinction that I cannot get behind the organization of Black Lives Matter because that is, uh, there are some unbiblical stances and things that are going on behind that organization that is causing uh, uh, hardship and chaos. And some of them are anti-biblical stances even against the family. 
But I want to say that God is an artist and he has made all the different races and in his beauty, there's beauty in his creation. And so Asian lives matter and so do Hispanic. Polynesian lives matter and so do Indian lives matter. Each life matters to God. Amen? No race is better than the other as everyone has been made in the image of God. And when society has been moving away from the importance of each individual, looking at the greater whole or the common good as more important, this can have impacts on young and old and those of different ethnicities. This comes into play with abortion and euthanasia. On the surface, thinking about the whole may sound good. It may seem to make the sense to make the decision that is best for the greater whole. Except for this is possibly what the argument that, that Hitler could have made. Is to make a superior race. To do what he thought was best for society and people. Ethnic cleansing. The dehumanizing of the Jews. If the whole or the majority becomes more important than each individual, then we can set ourselves up for another holocaust. The Nazis thought they were doing something that was best for the majority, and this was pure evil. When a society aligns itself with God, each person in, and each individual matters and has value. And this, of course, does not mean that we do not consider others, that we don't want to do the greatest good. It just means that we can't strip anybody of their value or their worth, young and old, male and female, any race. This is the sanctity of life. And God will not be mocked. Next, we will look at the definition of marriage. Genesis 2, 18 through 24. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, and the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he had made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The definition of marriage defined by God. God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. God's creative work was not complete until he made woman. He could have made her from the dust of the ground, but God chose to make her from man's flesh and bone. In so doing, he illustrated that in marriage, man and woman symbolically and physically become one flesh. Side by side equals man and woman complete each other in marriage. They are designed and made for each other, a unity that only God could create. When God looked for a suitable helpmate, he could not find one, so he created woman. Woman for man and man for woman. And I want to say that one's sexuality is far from a biological accident. It was intended by God at creation. The uniqueness of your sexuality is not an accident. It is not fluid. It is purposed by God. You are male because God wanted you to be male. And you are female because God wanted you to be female. 
It's God's design. And we notice clearly that God did not make another man for Adam. Another man was not God's idea for a suitable mate. I know these are hard things to discuss, but they're important because God's idea and definition of marriage is for a man and a woman to be united in covenant for life. And marriage is between one woman and one man committing their lives to each other, ordained and defined by our Creator. And the government can try and redefine marriage, but it is illegitimate in God's eyes. Gay marriage is the world's decision to redefine marriage and go against the laws of nature and the laws of God. This is perversion. It's different than the original version. What God planned, not the way that God intended it. When we redefine marriage, we set ourselves up against God thinking we know better than Him. Something that is clearly seen as a sin in the Bible is now openly celebrated on the streets. There are often more rainbow flags flying in yards now than there are American flags. We are mocking God. The devil is trying to pervert God's ways. The rainbow is a sign of God's mercy. Now people use it to mock God and celebrate a lifestyle that the Bible says is an abomination in his eyes. God will not be mocked. Marriage is also God's design for man and woman to procreate and fill the earth. Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created them, him. Male and female he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. God first blessed humanity. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This was his first blessing and his first command. We clearly see right here that a homosexual lifestyle cannot be fruitful and multiply. We know that it's not God's intention for mankind because he would never give us a command that we couldn't fulfill. There's only one way to produce by male and female. Be fruitful and multiply. The mandate to have and raise children is remarkable. We're used to it and it's commonplace today. But if you think about it, it's amazing that God, that's what he did for mankind. He blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And then he invited us to join in the process of creation. You can see God's desire and love for children in the first command that he's created Adam and Eve, mankind. And now he will give them the joy to create, to procreate with him. Do you guys not see a wonderful, life-giving God who loves all of humanity? That he is our father? There's no greater blessing than a child. They carry on the image of God. They are a miracle and the miracle of birth. I'm so thankful for my children. They are each a blessing and a gift. And we have... Uh, we have Abby and Caleb, as you guys know, but we also have a, a little announcement to make that, uh, that Stephanie is with child, that she's pregnant with her third, our third. <laughs> and so, yes, we're very excited for that, that we have our, our third coming and uh, uh, so thankful. We're, we're fulfilling the command, being fruitful and multiplying. And so we will now be outnumbered three versus two. 
Those of you that <laughs> maybe have three or four or more know what that's like, so please pray for us. But we're so thankful for life. Children are a gift from God. And when we forget this as a society, we forget what it means to be human. I know these are hard topics, but abortion is an outright evil in our land. Abortion is an attack against God. As a nation, we have decided to play God, treating and taking life like it is no big deal. Abortion is in direct opposition of God's command to be fruitful and multiply. And we see that life's, life starts in the womb. At conception, you have the full there's a full genetic makeup of another person. The Bible says that God knits us together in our mother's womb. And I just mentioned that we're pregnant with our third child and we just had our, our, our doctor's appointment and had the ultrasound. And watching and seeing with the technology that we have today to see at, a, at about uh, 12 weeks or 11 weeks to see the baby, our baby, our baby in there. It was maybe two or three inches long. We saw his, the, his or I'm saying his, maybe, <laughs> we don't know yet, but maybe that's prophetically. <laughs> we saw the baby's leg kick. The doctor slowed down and showed over by the heart. And the heart is just beating and thumping in the chest. And this is 11 weeks, guys. This is a baby. This is a baby. And nobody will tell me differently. It's amazing. It's a miracle that God would do that, that we all started that way, that God has created us and given us the ability to procreate. And so we see that life starts in the womb and to kill our children out of convenience is beyond comprehension. This is the opposite of what God created us for. He created us for life the blood of these children cry out to God. Their blood speaks. Do we really think that God doesn't take notice? Do we think he turns a blind eye? That he doesn't care about our children or life? The blessing of children. We didn't even get about with our children about Secular education, corruption that's in the media, the stuff that's happening with transgender children right now and giving them the ability to alter their lives from such an early age. God will not be mocked. Life, marriage, and children are the building blocks of society. Woe to the nation that offers its children to the God of Moloch. This profanes the name of God. Woe to the nation that redefines marriage, for a man shall not lie with a man as he does with a woman. God will not be mocked. As we wrap up, I want to give you some action points. First off, what I want to tell all of us in here and those that are watching online, and only God knows and only you know before him that is uh, where you're at with God, the first action point I give you is set your house right. Set your house in order. Have you turned from God? Have you backslidden? Have you set yourself up against him by your beliefs and the way that you live your life?
Is there things that we're doing that show that we agree more with culture or the majority rather than what God says? And so it's time to get our house in order. That it's time to build our marriages, strengthen our children and our families. I believe it's a day of repentance, a day to turn to the Lord and get our house in order. And we can't speak to the world if we live like the world. My second action point is to pray. Pray for our country. Pray for our leaders. Oftentimes we see that action follows prayer. That when we ask God for the help to forgive somebody, then once we pray to him, then we walk out in obedience and believe that he is going to help us forgive them. We ask him to give us an anointing and a boldness to speak his word, and then we go out and speak. And I want to encourage you that to to pray, but also then go and vote. Vote biblical values. And I get it. No candidate is perfect. No candidate is our savior. No candidate is our pastor. We're looking beyond the candidate and looking at policies and platform. And I want to encourage you to vote biblical values. I'm not saying this to, I'm not, like I said at the beginning, I'm not just trying to be political, but I'm trying to think of my children and my grandchildren. I'm trying to think of where we're at as a nation and trying to want to align ourselves with God. And again, uh, the president is not our savior. No matter what happens, God is in charge. But do we think it is important to vote? to get out and have our voice be heard. I believe it is. We need to see which one aligns with God most, which platform opposes abortion, and which one celebrates it. And I personally don't care if that person or that platform is Republican, Democrat, or Independent. I just want to vote for the candidate or the platform that stands with biblical values. For this election to me, this election here to me, though on those issues are clear as day. I don't even have to say which ones stand with abortion, which ones stand with life, which one stands with transgender support of children and which ones don't. I don't have to look at the, 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 um, who is standing for the redefining of marriage. And I understand there's more issues. I do. I understand there's more issues than we said here, and there's a lot of things that come into play, but I would dare say that if we're going to stake one issue in the ground, it would be abortion. That every year there's almost a million babies aborted. Since Roe v. Wade, there has been 60 million plus. If there was any other injustice happening in our time, would we not say that is what we're supposed to stake our claim on? But abortion right now is one of those things that I believe God can overturn and will overturn if the church will pray, if the church will stand for truth. And so whatever you do, pray. My next action point is to stay informed. First and foremost, stay informed by the Word of God. How can you stand with the truth if you don't know the truth? It's horribly sad to me that Christians don't know their Bible. We believe this is the Word of God. This is God's own revealed nature, will, and ways. We say things like this is God's love letter to humanity, yet we don't know what's in it. 
How can we stand against evil if all we have is our own opinions, feelings, and thoughts? We need to be in the Word of God. Read the whole book, not just bits and pieces, verses here and there. And when you finish, read it again, and then again, and again. It is a living and an active book. And we know that God is shaping us and changing us by His Word. You know, one of the things I'd encourage is keep it fresh. What I try to do is when I re read one translation, I go to a different translation. Read different study Bibles. Listen to the Word. Take your time through something like Psalms or Proverbs or spend a year in the Gospels. But whatever you do, read the Word. And then I do believe that it is important to stay informed with the issues of our day. That we don't have a right to close our eyes and be like the monkeys. You know, I see no evil. I hear no evil. That we need to pay attention to what's happening in our land. It matters. You know, as a nation, we have re recently shifted on these crucial views. Abortion has only been illegal or legalized for the less than 50 years. Gay marriage was redefined and legalized in 2050 by, or 2015. And child transgender issues are happening right in front of us. Even in California right now, taxpayer-funded gender transition drugs and surgeries are available to children. And some of them they can get even without parental consent. And so think about that. If it was your 13-year-old child or your 14-year-old child, how many times when we're growing and maturing as children do we change? We're, we're constantly learning new things. And if your 13-year-old child was able to walk right now and go and get something life-altering like that, is this not, and without your consent, is this not an important issue of our day? I know this is hard. I can feel the weight of it myself. You know, the last action point that I want to give you is to take a stand. You are the salt and light of the world. Let your words and your actions communicate the kingdom of God. Speak up. Don't let fear control you. Speak up in your kid's school. Don't let them teach you about the world's definition of sexuality. We are called to oppose evil, resist the devil, come against arguments and every high and lofty thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. And if salt has lost its flavor, how can it be salty again? Salo and worship team, if you don't mind coming back up. Listen, I want to make something very clear. That I understand we talked about the issues of today. I, I understand that we talked about getting out and voting. And listen, this is, I, I'm doing this message, but we know that we are in a kingdom that is above all kingdoms. I believe it is important, but let us not forget that we are not living for today. Let us not forget that God is with us and that we have a future and a hope. But again, these things, I believe, are important, not because of my opinions, not because of the way I'm looking at it, but because of the Word of God. I know it is easy to get emotions involved in a lot of these things. And maybe even, I know that probably most of us either know somebody that has gotten abortion or know somebody that has same-sex attraction, or maybe it's you. And I have compassion for you if you have struggled with those things, if that is something that has happened in the past or something that you are going through right now. And I want to tell you that there's grace enough for you. 
that God is a gracious God. And what I came against was not you. I came against the normalizing of sin that is happening in our society. I don't come against you if you are struggling with homosexual temptations. I tell you, you are welcome into the kingdom of God. You are welcome into the kingdom of God, just like we have all entered into the kingdom of God by confession, repentance, and faith in our Lord and Savior. And so I know for many of you, this could have been such a hard thing to walk through, but I know God's grace is sufficient. I know that He loves you right where you're at. In fact, if you have had some of these things, that He will give you grace and healing to your heart. He will help you and be there for you. And so again, what I came against was the, the, the setup of trying to normalize sin. And so I want to spend some time praying because we need revival in our land. Amen? But revival will not come without repentance. I do want to spend some time praying but first I just want to give a moment and this is just going to be between you and God if something hit you personally that maybe you have backslidden maybe you have aligned yourself with the world more than you have with God in fact if you'll just close your eyes right where you're at that I believe God wants to speak truth to you and set you free That maybe you have stepped away from him and his ways and based your decisions and your worldview based on what society is saying, based on what you have determined in your own heart. But I encourage you to repent and come back to the Lord. Repent and come back to the Lord. He is not looking right now to close you out. He is not looking to condemn you. He is looking to forgive you by His grace. Listen, none of us are worthy of His grace. I mentioned a few topics, but we did not get into the struggles that some of us also deal with, like greed or lust or gossip or anger unto sin. And so many of us, we come before you, Lord, and ask that you would convict us, that you would bring us back into your peace and into your love, that you would strengthen us and help us and change us. So Father God, I pray for those that are looking to you right now, that have come before you that have set themselves before you with their heart and saying, Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please bring me back into your presence. Let me establish you as the Alpha and the Omega. Let me establish you as the Lord of my life. I put you first and foremost. And I say this in Jesus' name.